Good evening. We've got two microphones. Maybe I wasn't loud enough this morning. It's good to be back. Good to be back with you all. Well, if you weren't if you weren't here this morning, we've been talking about characteristics of healthy local churches. And I want to emphasize a couple things that I might not have emphasized this morning. This one I did. The goal of this message is simply balance. This is not a message um, that exhaustively goes through all of these different areas. And if you saw my handout here, this has 20, 20 different points on it. And you could add some. It's got one extra line, so you can go for 21. Um, I've picked out nine points, nine big things. And again, the goal of the message is not to talk about all the different things about, we'll mention evangelism tonight, I'm not going to give a whole message on evangelism, I'm not giving a whole message on how to teach in the local church, just highlighting some things that, from what I've heard and what I've seen, um, sort of need to be re-emphasized. Another thing that I wanted to mention was, I made the point this morning by holding these two books up, that some local churches, especially from our, uh, our heritage, have focused on certain aspects of their ecclesiology, assembly truths, distinctives, and have sometimes not uh, emphasized other things. By doing that, I didn't mean to say, you shouldn't go read these books. I think you should. Uh, so my point was not to suggest that somehow there was any fault in these brothers that wrote this. Um, these are two great books, and I recommend that you, you take a look at these, all right? Got to be, be careful there. Um, one other thing that I'd like to do is show you a big intimidating book here. So if you can't sleep at night, you get one of these. You might get excited reading it. I mentioned, I mentioned the topic of, of systematic theology, and you've got to forgive me. Some of us are book people, and you just put up with us, right? Um, this, is, this, is a, this is a systematic theology that came out within the last 10 years. How many of you know who Norman Geisler is? How you guys know who Norman Geisler is? Um, he's actually moved out here. They started a school out in this area. And he has written a systematic theology, and it was in five or six books. And then they put it in one volume, and I think it's 30-something dollars, um, Geiser would agree with most of the doctrinal positions that I've seen New Testament pattern assemblies across the U.S. holding to, um, almost down the line. And I haven't seen many systematic theologies in the homes of believers that I've gone to except for Lewis Perry Chafer's eight-volume systematic theology, and it's usually dusty because nobody just picks up Chafer's theology and just starts reading. Um, it's, it's, it's for the courageous. Geisler has, Schaefer was ministering in the 20s, in the 30s, in the 40s, the 50s, but Geisler has written a book that's very usable. He's got all the verses in line. He doesn't have a lot of just paragraphs and paragraphs of content. He gets to the point. He's got some titles. It's a usable tool. It's something you'll pick up and just use. He's got lists. He's got quotations. He's got all kinds of good information and charts. Have a look at this. I know I didn't show the leadership here this book. I've emailed some of the the, the leaders in the assemblies around this area about this book, and I'm, I'm confident 
that they would be very comfortable with it. Um, and so that's why I've, I've, I've done that. Um, all right. This morning we talked about two characteristics of the nine. One is that healthy local churches are characterized by leaders that know the difference between shepherding people and managing meetings. A second characteristic we talked about is that healthy local churches have a plan to teach the believers through the scriptures and also to teach them doctrine. And we, I gave some verses, I think, that support that. I'd like to go on to points three and following this evening and open your Bibles to Matthew 28. Healthy local churches, the third point. How many of you, if anybody wants one of these, this is just a note sheet. I think there's a stack of them in the back. Yeah, Dave's giving me the, the nod. So, you just like something to write on. If you're like me, yours is probably at home because you're probably not like me, but um, that's the way it is. Matthew chapter 28. The third characteristic of healthy local churches is really a plan to involve believers in evangelism. Now, if you're... If you're astute, you might ask me things like this. Where do you get off saying that everybody should be involved in evangelism from the Scriptures? Those are the hard questions. Uh, people will stand up and assert all sorts of things. Uh, we know we should share the gospel, but do you have a verse that suggests that believers in general should be involved in that? And I'd like to give you one. We'll start with this one, and then we'll pray. Matthew chapter 28, you know this verse. This is called the Great Commission. There are probably about five commissions that the Lord gave before he ascended into heaven. And this is one of the most well-known. Matthew 28, verse number 16. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. You remember, he says, when I rise again, I'll meet you there. 1 Corinthians talks about him being seen of about 500 people. That's this event, if I'm not mistaken. Um, when, he saw, when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Probably not the 11 that were doubting. They knew he had risen. But some of the others that were gathered there might have doubted whether this was really Jesus. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, based on this fact, go and make disciples of all nations. And if you know individuals that are involved in missions, they will highlight that word. What does it say to do? Make, make disciples. More than just uh, sharing the gospel, make disciples of all nations. Uh, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. An interesting phrase for what we do with the Gospels. And lo, look, behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. I'm going to come back to that line, but let's just ask the Lord's help again with our evening. Father, we ask that with the time that, that, that you've given me this evening, uh, that the things that I say, the scriptures that we read, would be of help to build up this local church, Father. We again tonight confess complete dependence on your Holy Spirit working in our hearts, bringing verses back to memory during the work week, um, at home, months from now, Lord, even years from now, Lord. This is your word. 
and just ask that you would use it for your honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Every local church likes the idea of sharing the gospel. I don't, I've never met anybody that said, eh, gospel, whatever. Most local churches are interested in that, but some really take it seriously, and that's exciting to see. And um, I remember growing up in the, the local church that I did in Florida, and probably five years ago, one of the men said, we're going to start giving out 10,000 tracks a year. And he was one of the guys that could, he was a coach, and he could, he could sell ice to, to Eskimos, as they say. I mean, he really is a go-getter. Um, and he started this, and he was going to keep track and keep count. And what came of that was just that. Some of the guys got on the bandwagon. They started giving them out. And, and then they started to meet on Thursday nights once a month to talk about evangelism, to talk about things. And it became, for the first time in maybe the history of that local church, had been there for over 25 years, a regular evangelistic outreach. Now, in my mind, I'm thinking, this is great. We're doing something consistently. I thought giving out tracts may not lead anybody to the doors of our local church, but at least it's something, and it's something consistent. And that was the exciting thing, and that was a good thing to see. It's beautiful to see that. Some people will actually ask the question, is the Great Commission for the believer today, or was it just given to the apostles? You don't have to raise your hand, but you might have thought that. Um, and I will go into where those questions come from. Let me give you something from this verse that I believe tells us that the Great Commission is for us today. Look at the end of verse number 20. What is the last thing that Jesus says to the disciples? He gives them the commission, go into all the world, make disciples, preach the gospel, and he says, I'm with you always, even until when? To the end of the age... Aeon, the end of the world, the end of the age. The point is, is that the Lord Jesus Christ would be with them, and I believe in this context, would be with them in evangelism till the end of the age, implying that this work needed to go on till the end of the age, and Christ would be with them in this work till the end of the age. And does anybody really doubt, does anybody really doubt that the Great Commission isn't handed on from generation to generation? I mean, can we really ask that question you know, look people in the eyes and say, I just don't know if, you know, it doesn't, I mean, I don't know that it holds a lot of water. And there are other verses, but that's something I could point you to, to in Scripture that to me implies that this work is to go on and on and on till the end of the age when Christ would return. Um, so that happened, turn to Acts chapter 8. You know that the early believers began to share the gospel. Here's one, just, just one snippet. Acts chapter 8. Now Saul was consenting, verse 1, Saul was consenting to his death. At that time a great persecution arose against the church which was at Jerusalem and they were all scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. Verse 4 says, therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. And some have said that the Lord gave the Great Commission, wait till the Spirit comes and then go, and some didn't go, and some did, and the persecution came, and then they went. And by the end of the book of Acts, we see the gospel going all over the known world. And it comes down to us today. Um, what verse can I give you to suggest to you 
that the Lord wants all of us involved in evangelism. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. It is a good practice. I don't always do it to try to back up anything that you say with Scripture. There's not always an exact verse. Sometimes there's something's implied, but I think this is one of those things that are implied. Ephesians chapter 4. Look at verse 11. This, this speaks of the Lord, the, the risen Christ. It says, And he himself, after he ascended, gave some to be, or some as, you'll notice the words to be are in italics, um, but just, he gave some as, or some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors or shepherds and teachers. That's the word poimain there, the regular word for a sheep shepherd. And does the verse in there? That's a silly question. Well, you know, it doesn't. It keeps going on. And what does it say after that? It says, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect, a mature telos, to a, a mature man, a full-grown man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We should no longer be children tossed to and fro. What's the idea here? I think the idea in this verse is that the Lord gave certain key gifts to the church as a whole, and these people would equip other people to do the work. And what you wind up with are congregations, assemblies full of people equipped to minister. So everybody's in ministry. If, you're, if you've ever wondered if you're in ministry, you're in ministry. Congratulations. The meeting's over. You're in ministry. Everybody's involved in the Lord's work. And I think the Lord gave the evangelists and the shepherds and the teachers to the church both to lead the way in doing those works, but also to teach other people how to do it. And so you might have someone like you had in my local church that, that I think this brother had the gift of evangelism and he was excited about it. And it was he, that was this guy that got everybody stirred up to do that work. Not everybody will do it the same way. Not everybody will be involved in the same way. Who do you think really can teach and equip people to learn how to shepherd? Those that have that ability. Those that have that experience. What about teaching? Probably going to be your teachers that help other teachers come along and teach. One of the... A brother who was an evangelist came to me and saw my house. He saw all the books I had. I kind of lean in the teaching direction. He says, you need a good fire. <laughs> that was his comment. He was an evangelist. He's like, I need the Bible and I'm ready to go. They have, that didn't go over. Some of you guys didn't get that. A good fire. That's, people make comments. I'll tell you what, they just make comments. So his point was, you've got too many books. That was his point. Uh, he didn't appreciate the resources. I say that to say that you have people that have very different perspectives on what the local body needs. And that's one of the beauties of plurality. It's one of the beauties of the way the Lord has structured the church. One of the things that's happening in, in biblical studies and writing today is that some writers and teachers are, are trying to unpack and trace out how the, the Trinity is reflected in all aspects of life and of the body of Christ. And this is one of them. We have a God who is Father, Son, and Spirit. And that you have. You have unity and you have diversity in God himself. And you have a relationship in God. And that's reflected in marriage. It's reflected in the local church. It's reflected in the type of leadership that God built in the local church. Unity and yet a diversity of works and a diversity of gifts. And so if you have all evangelists, they tend to have a very keen perspective. If you have all teachers, they tend to have a very keen perspective. Um, these people were given to equip others too. The point is, is that I believe that verse 
is a verse we can use to suggest that a number of us should be involved in evangelism. You know what Paul told Timothy? He said to do the work of an evangelist. The implication of that might have been that Timothy wasn't an evangelist. And Paul says, you need to do some of this as well. So let me give a a few suggestions on evangelism. Um, We've been given the gospel. We've been given the instructions to go into the world with the gospel. Are you thankful tonight for the people that shared the gospel with your grandparents, your great-grandparents, directly with you? How many people this evening are first-generation believers, if I can say that? Your parents weren't believers. Someone came to you and gave you the gospel. You weren't saved as a, as a, as a, as a kid in Sunday school. A number of us. Yeah. How many of you were, were led to Christ in your family? Someone else was a believer in your family. And I don't know what the third category would be. I still, still have, some aren't voting. I hope you know. Uh, um, you notice it's an interesting thing, how many people come to Christ through family, and the, 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 the statistics suggest that people really come to Christ under the age of 20. Um, the highest percentages of people coming to Christ are usually under the age of 20, the vast majority of people. And Jesus said that, uh, suffer the little children to come unto me, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. Um, well, There are a number of suggestions that I've collected from different brothers. I'm not an evangelist. I've been involved in a lot of different evangelistic works in different cities um, and, and just personal things. I've given you a card here, um, and I'll tell you the story behind this. Um, this is born out of conviction that I should be involved in evangelism and having done a number of different things, and I don't want to say having been a little bit frustrated. I wanted something that I was comfortable using and giving out. So I wind up in a lot of airports in a lot of places, and I thought, I might have a, a, a track with something, and then I see a person, and I just think, this does not seem to fit that person. Now, there's a gospel message in it, and ultimately, we trust that God will work with the gospel. But I'm even hoping they actually look at it and pick it up. Um, and I wanted something that would, I could sort of give to anybody, that would work with anybody. And so I, I created a site titled, Is God There?, and uh, you see on the back, it says, they met Jesus and changed. Catholics, atheists, Mormons, JWs, Hindus, Jews, and Muslims explain how Jesus Christ changed their lives. And the goal is not to tell them they're wrong right up front here, okay? The goal is to get them to go to the site out of curiosity and take a look at people who came from the same background that they did and met the Savior and trusted Christ, and their lives were changed. Um, and I've just got some pictures on the front, is God there? And the website is purely videos, just video testimonies. And, um, and so this is something that I can give out wherever I go. I'm still working on the site, but it's, it's functional. And my desire was just, my conscience bothered me about not sharing the gospel. And I thought, well, if I'm not going to give out those tracts, I need to do something that I can give out. And so this is my effort to do that. Um, I've also gotten involved in some online evangelism. There's some sites that have people from Africa, from the Middle East, they come on and they answer these questions, and I get a little email that says, I've trusted Christ. And then I email them, and sometimes they write back, and I can tell you about that. Um, there's all kinds of things that can be done. Let me, let me suggest this. One of the things that I think is worth thinking about is that we don't confuse evangelism with a method of communicating with people. 
We don't confuse the gospel and sharing the gospel with a method of talking to people or meeting people. What types of methods were used in the book of Acts? That's a neat thing to look at. You see street evangelism. You see almost what we might call crusade evangelism, just hundreds of people hearing. You see one-on-one evangelism. You see people going into homes. Paul regularly went into synagogues and shared the gospel. Some have suggested that books like the Gospel of John were actual literature to convince people that Jesus Christ is the the Son of God and to believe. That's literature evangelism. Uh, There are a number of different things that you see in the Gospel. The point is, is that I think you can make an argument for a local church doing all sorts of things rather than focusing on one particular method. A second suggestion besides trying a number of different things is to do something consistently. I've, I've seen a, a number of local churches try something like one, one time. They'll sort of have a big push, they'll do something once, and that's, that's the evangelism for the year. And they don't mean to, to, to not be consistent, but there's, there's probably a lot more, I don't want to say success to be had, but a benefit in doing something on a regular basis throughout the year. That's what we do with a number of things. Uh, And I think we need to do that with the gospel. Find something that you can do and do it on a regular basis. Jerry Denny, who's... How many of you know Jerry Denny? Some of you know Jerry because he's been involved with Good News on the Move. Jerry is a shepherd, uh, but he does a lot of evangelistic work. You can tell Jerry's a shepherd. You sit down and you feel like, here's a brother who will listen and it will give me counsel. Uh, But he suggests an, an idea. He says, some of the local assemblies that we've worked with have divided people up into four groups. Everybody gets involved in evangelism. You can pray, you can pack literature bags, they mostly do door-to-door work and they hang bags on doors. You can go door-to-door, join the third group, or you can do visitation when we get responses. But everybody's getting involved in the gospel. And he says, one of the things that happens is that the first time they do this, people say, well, I just could never knock on a door, I I couldn't do that, so I'll stay and pack bags. Or I'll pray. I, I just can't walk. I can't walk down the street and up and down the blocks, but I'd be glad to pray. Um, and sometimes, he says, what happens is, is when they see people come back in excited about having shared the gospel, they say, you know what, I'm going to go next time. And they might try something else. And it has a big impact. Sharing the gospel with people has a profound impact on your own spiritual life and self-understanding. There, there's nothing like engaging someone that doesn't agree with you to find out if you really understand what you're talking about. How many times has somebody come to your door, disagreed with you, they're sharing, you know, whatever literature they have, and when the door closes, you're just like, oh, man, I, I knew I saw that person here somewhere, and you're flipping through, you're looking for something. It really provokes you to, to be on your toes and to know your scriptures. And that's one of the best benefits of sharing the gospel in addition to just obeying the Lord. Here are some ideas, some things that we can do. Um, And this assembly, I assume, does a number of these different things. I haven't actually talked with with everybody here what what Claremont does, but our assembly in Florida, we did picnics on a regular basis. We would have a regular picnic, and we had more visitors to our local church picnic than we ever did to an evangelistic meeting. And we always gave the gospel every year. Fifteen people would come out that would never come to our evangelistic meetings. Don't confuse the gospel with the method of sharing it. Having, having gospel meetings is just a method of sharing the gospel. If people will come out to a picnic, 
have picnics. Um, some local churches have started teaching programs on things that people are interested in, marriage, finances, raising your children, a number of things like that. The goal, again, is to develop relationships, get to know people. Um, English is a second language. You all have done Awana. Some of these things don't bring a number of people into the local church, but they are means to share the gospel. Um, women's fellowship times, fairs. I've been involved in a number of just local. You've got the art fairs here, these types of things. I haven't seen a number of people come in through those as well. What they tend to be is just mass literature distributions. But the gospel's getting out, and you have to decide that. You have to say, we live in a culture that's saturated with information in local churches, and we're going to just get the gospel out. Lord, help us to find something that we can do, baby, that might bring individuals in. Um, again, the internet is something that you can do as well. My encouragement to local churches is to be consistent, to talk about it, and to get everybody involved. And to be prepared to talk to people that you might know. One of the things that happens to believers is that they wind up losing friends that aren't believers, that are unbelievers. And our Savior spent a lot of time with people who weren't necessarily the most reputable. He was called a friend of sinners. If Christ could be a friend of sinners, then I think it's okay for you to be a friend of sinners. Now, obviously, that takes caution. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 that we don't associate with believers that are engaged in certain types of sins. But he says, I didn't mean for you to not involve with unbelievers that are engaged in these kinds of sins. Otherwise, you'd have to leave the planet if I can, uh, you know, just put in my own words. Um, that's something to think about. Do you have any friends or people that you interact with that don't know Christ as Savior? And if you don't, that's something to think about. And um, so just a few thoughts on sharing the gospel on a regular basis as a local church. I think that's a characteristic and a mark of, of a healthy local church. And there's a number of things that we can talk about in, in, in that area. But what are, some, what are some socially acceptable ways to share, to, just to talk to people? Some, some don't like that idea, socially acceptable. That doesn't sound something like, like something we would do as believers. I'll give you an example. It's, it is now socially acceptable for me to talk to certain people now that I have children. I can go in the park and talk to people if my kids are on the playground. If my kids weren't with me and I went up and started talking to people, then they get uncomfortable. You know, why is single man talking to us? They, they don't know anything about me. But I've got my kids. Hey, where do your kids go to school? My kids go to school here. Oh, you know, look, we'll borrow your toys and we're playing. And then we can talk a little bit. And that opens the door to going from talking about life to talking about spiritual beliefs to sharing the gospel. You can transition conversations that way. So what are ways that we can get into conversations with people and just start talking? When you sit down on an airplane, that is a socially acceptable time to start a conversation. Now, you can just walk up and interrupt people. They're trying to mow their lawn, stop, and we'll talk. And sometimes they'll talk to you, but sometimes they just want to get back to mowing their lawns. If there's a way that you can engage people where they're open and ready to, then do it that way. Uh, find those opportunities and use them. If you can't use them, then you're going to have to interrupt people at some point. Uh, and there, there have been times, and there are times to do that. Turn over to Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Marks of a 
a healthy local church. Characteristics of a healthy local church. Believers are involved in sharing the gospel on a regular basis. A fourth mark is that believers are in fellowship, not just membership. Now, I have to say something about this word membership. If you've grown up in a local church like this, like I have, sometimes people emphasize membership almost in a negative because that concept is not found in the New Testament. Membership is associated with the body of Christ, is not associated in the New Testament with with local churches. But many local churches around the country take this concept of membership seriously. If you're going to be a member at our local church, you need to agree to this doctrinal position, you need to be involved, you need to give regularly. In other words, you just don't saunter into the local church. And so I don't want to send the message that because I'm emphasizing fellowship, that any local church that uses the term membership is automatically sort of substandard. And I have to be careful in saying this, because I think we need to be careful about how we talk about our other believers, our, our brothers and sisters in the wider body of Christ. Uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 42, you've memorized it, and we have the following phrase here. I'll read from verse 40. And, and with many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized Baptism following salvation there, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they, those 3,000, continued steadfastly in four things, the apostles' doctrine, we've emphasized, fellowship, the breaking of bread, and in prayers. The word fellowship is, involves the word koinonia. It's, if you take a Greek class in a Bible college, they teach you koine Greek. It's a word that means common. It's translated a number of ways to, to give to, to communicate with, to share with, to partner in. It has the idea of partnering in something in common, having something in common. Um, what do they have in common? Let's just keep reading. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Verse 44, now all who believed were together and had all things in common. They sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all, as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. It's a beautiful scene, and you sort of wish in Christ's return, and that was they lived happily ever after. Uh, but that's not how it happens in Acts. Uh, things get very complicated, and now it's been 2,000 years. Um, what does it mean to be in fellowship? What does it mean to be in fellowship at a local church? What are we sharing when we say, I'm going to be part of this local church? If we invite someone into fellowship, or we announce so-and-so is coming into fellowship, presumably we mean a number of things that they're going to share doctrinally with us. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, Paul writes that we would all speak the same thing, that we wouldn't be divided up into different groups. That we're going to share our, our life and our burdens together. That we're going to share the local work together. Things like evangelism. Things like caring for the building. You're having a a, a work day here. 
that we're going to be part of this local fellowship. And that rubs up against American culture, doesn't it? Something has happened in our culture whereby people really want to have full control over their private life and sort of dip into a local church and then dip out. And the rest is sort of my space. And that's a hard thing to overcome. And I think it's just something that we have to gently urge and teach and open the Scriptures uh, with people about. Let me give you some verses to do that with. I'm going to list off some verses that I think make pretty clearly what it looks like for people to be in fellowship. You can get this list off the internet. All you have to do is go search for the phrase or your Bible software, one another. And if you email me, I'll give you a list where someone's categorized them into 50 different categories. Romans chapter 12, verse 10. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Any one of these, you could take it and go home for the rest of the week and just think about that. What happened if you just thought all week about outdoing one another and showing honor to the other person? That would give you something to think about during the week. Romans 12, 16. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Romans 14, 13. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. Romans 15, 5. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in harmony with one another. Romans 15, 7. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. Romans 15, 14. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and are able to instruct one another. 1 Corinthians 11.33, so then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, looking at the early agape meal or feast that was surrounding the Lord's Supper, wait for one another. And you just get a picture of a, a type of shared life here. They share doctrine. What do they ultimately share in common? What ultimately bound all of these people together that they had in common? Christ. Do you know the picture of the loaf is, is described in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 that you are one loaf? You're one loaf. It's actually not only a picture of the body of Christ, this is my body broken for you or given for you, it's also a picture of the fact that we're all united through the work of Christ into one body. You're one loaf. That's ultimately what we have in common. And isn't it interesting that when the movement that gave rise to local churches like this one started, their interest was in doing what? Having Christ in common with believers, primarily. They were in a world where denominational walls were so high. Someone trusted Christ, and they were pushed to join a group, and when they didn't, they were actually sort of excommunicated from the local church. It's interesting to watch local churches that have descended from that movement almost have no interaction with other believers today. We have Christ in common with believers around the world. What does it mean in Ephesians chapter 4 to walk worthy of your calling? Turn over to that chapter, and I'm I'm going to read some other verses. I'd just like to give this to you. I'm, I'm, I'm obviously off the point now in terms of fellowship in a local church, but let me just give this to you. Is 
is it seven? You end at seven. When do you end? Okay, I was going to say, I, <laughs> I'm used to sometimes ending at seven. I thought, no, that couldn't have happened. Ephesians chapter 4 is a passage I'd like to give you to think about in terms of how I interact with other believers who I might not exactly agree with. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. How do you walk worthy of the calling or the gospel that you were called with? What does that look like? He says, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing or putting up with one another in love endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. What is the unity of the Spirit? What is it that all Christians are unified by, that all believers have in common? I believe it's given to us right here. There are seven things. That there is one Lord, there's one body, one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, and I just take that to be the return of Christ for His church. I'm not getting into pre-trib, post-trib. I don't think that defines the body of Christ you can know Christ and have your prophecy a little bit off. Um, there is one body, one spirit, just as you were called, and one hope of your calling, one Lord. Jesus Christ is often given the title Lord, so I'm thinking that we have, if you meet a group that preaches another Jesus, this is what I'm getting at here, suddenly now you have a line, you see. Not the hymnal they use, they preach another Christ. They have another hope. Their hope is to become one with the universal spirit when they die. You see, those are the groups that you say, we're on different sides of a line. Not necessarily a group that maybe has, um, you know, a different meeting schedule than you do. They break bread at night. Um, I mean, they have a different hope. They have a different God, a different faith. Look what it says here. One faith. I think of the gospel. If they're preaching another gospel message, then we're on different sides of a line. One baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. These seven things, if I meet someone that preaches the same Christ, the same gospel, the same hope, believes in the same God, they're not worshiping a different spirit. Paul talks about different spirits. Then I have to bear with them in love if I don't put up with and graciously treat my brothers in the body, the Lord says, I'm not walking worthy of your calling. Do you know why? Because Jesus Christ owns them. They're his bride and will worship with them. He loves them. The Spirit is working in their hearts and lives. It doesn't mean that everything that they do is biblical. It doesn't mean that we agree with everything that they do. But when the God of, of, of holiness and righteousness looks down, do you think he can find anything in your life, in your doctrinal position, that's maybe off? Just not, quickly. Just not. Do you understand all mysteries? Do you have all knowledge? No, neither do I. But the Lord loves you. And he's not embarrassed to be with you. And I think that's what we need to do with our brothers and sisters. I'm not saying we don't open the scriptures and say, brother, we disagree. Look at this verse here. I, I don't see how you can do that but you serve the Savior that I serve, and I love you for it. We might have to work in different parts of the vineyard, different parts of the field. Um, that's a helpful passage for me. I hope that helps you. Well, we've got a minute left. Fellowship. Let me share with you um, just a couple other verses, and I'll close on this. 
Galatians chapter 6, verse 2. You can just listen. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. At some point in your life, you realize that believers are living a public life and a private life. And that they come and they're polite and that they're in trouble and they're in pain at home. There are things that they're embarrassed to talk about and they're afraid to talk about. And you know why they're afraid to talk about them? Because they don't believe that the people at their local church are actually safe to talk to. And I could sit down and I could say, well, how are you doing your walk? Oh, I'm doing pretty good. They give me the pretty good speech. What are you struggling with? Oh, not much. And inside, they're like, I don't know if God even exists anymore. I don't know why God would do this to me. I'm mad, I'm angry, I'm hurt. It's a different thing to have a type of relationship with believers where there's people that you're safe to sit down with and say, brother, my marriage isn't good. I'm struggling with what's on the internet. Uh, my kids aren't doing anything that, that they, they don't, they, my kids hate me. Um, I'm just listing things off. I, I, you know, I'm, I struggle with alcohol. I, I'm, I'm gambling away my family's money. Whatever it is. You will do that with the Lord, won't you? Won't you go to the Lord and tell Him the things that you're doing? You know why? Because you know that the Lord loves you. Now, the Lord is... I'm going to use the phrase, you know that the Lord is safe, but the, the holiness of the Lord is not safe. The cross is safe. The work of Christ is our safety. Sometimes we don't take the holiness of the Lord seriously enough. But the point is, is that what does it look like to bear one another's burdens? I've been able to experience since coming out here a group of people that I meet with regularly where it's safe to talk to them. And we open up and they share burdens. I've just seen men open up and share things and, and, and some of the people. And I've, I've begun to covet that for local churches. I've thought, how can we start this in local churches? Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking about gossip and you're thinking about all these other things. We can't tell things that are going on in our lives really to people. Number one, they'll think that we're not, we don't really have it all together. Well, we don't have it all together. And as soon as we come to the place where we can admit we don't have it all together, that's a little more honest. It's, it's just something else to see a group of believers that, that, that can go to that place and say, now how can we help one another to begin to walk and love and grow and heal? Some local churches are safe places for people that have it all together, that don't need any shepherding that will do all their own Bible study, that will take care of themselves, they'll come to the meetings, they'll, they'll do what they're supposed to do. And there are some places that are ready to shepherd people that are broken and hurt and messy. Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God and Christ forgave you. James 5.16, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Oh, there's so many verses that you could read. Bearing with one another. Serve one another. With all humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another. What would that look like? And I think you've got some of that going on here. People know when there's life and love. They walk into a group. How, would, how did the Lord say that they will know that you're my disciples? When you know all of your doctrinal truth. That's how, right? Was doctrinal knowledge included in the fruit of the Spirit? 
Love, joy, patience, joy. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. That's a hard one for me, joy. People will know that you've been with Christ when you have love one for another. And love for believers is a lot harder to develop and cultivate than knowledge. Corinth came behind in no gift. You know what Paul said about them? You're carnal and immature because you're sectarian, you're divided into groups. Oh, there's so many different things that you could go into. Um, obviously, I'm not really talking about fellowship anymore, but we'll, we'll, we'll end on that idea and that note that healthy local churches have found a way to begin to live together, really. If I can use a, a young people's phrase, they've, they've figured out how to be authentic. Forgive me for using that phrase. That means honest. That means open. Because that's the way we are with the Lord. And that's the way the Lord is with us. He receives us that way. That's something that I... It's so painful to go to a local church and to watch people leave because they really don't feel like they can open up and, 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 and be healed. To have someone bear their burdens. Um, among other things. Let's just close in a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we ask that you would help us to be local churches where truth is found, where shepherds shepherd, where the gospel goes out, and where people bear one another's burdens, share with one another, and live life together. Lord, we absolutely cannot do these things and be these things on our own, and yet there is a part that we have to play in it, Lord, because we know that the fault is not yours when local churches aren't like this, Lord, thus indicating that that there's obedience on our part as well, Lord, because we know that you do your part perfectly at all times. So, Lord, help us to know what we have to do to, to keep moving and growing and to becoming what your son spoke about when he said, I will build my church. Lord, thank you for this assembly here and their testimony, um, their, their, their kindness, the joy that's here, um, their faithfulness to your work. Lord, I ask that you would bless them, that you would bring... Uh, baby believers in among them, that the gospel would go out richly, that you would raise up another generation of workers at this local assembly. Lord, and that it would be a light to the community, Father. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.